official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. You feeling awake? No, I heard a few no's. That's all right. Did anyone here run in the marathon or watch the marathon? Okay, we're going to applaud you for watching. Yeah. Amen. I don't know. I, uh, I think that's a, speci- a, it's a special person to go and cheer their friends on watching, watching the marathon. Or maybe you guys will have to teach me how to watch a marathon, maybe school me on how to do that. But uh, this morning, this afternoon, uh, Adam told me, this is a little insight into your lead pastor here at Church of the Well. He came up to us and all of us who are volunteering before, and he said, if anyone says morning, I will mock you and heckle you and ridicule you. And so we're going to be praying for Adam because he planted the seed of the enemy into all of our brains. And now we're trying to move past that. So uh, this afternoon, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be opening up Acts chapter 28. And we're going to begin reading in verse 11. And so I'm specifically reading from the NASB translation, New American Standard Bible. We will have the text on the screen for you as well if you do not have your Bible with you. But it's hard for me to believe that this afternoon we're going to be wrapping up our series in the book of Acts. We started in January, on January 7th, and it's been 21 weeks we've been in the book of Acts. And so I'm hoping that the series and going through the text has been as encouraging, challenging, comforting, uh, confronting uh, to you as it has been to me. And hopefully we have gained some insight as a church community on what it looks like to follow Jesus and who we've learned a little bit more about who Jesus is, how the gospel shapes us as a community and individuals, and how our mission as a church community in our communities and sharing God's love in Vermont, right, can be shaped. And so we see all this in the book of Acts. And so uh, it is hard to believe that we are going to be closing the book of Acts this morning. So let's start this afternoon in verse 11. At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Now I want to pause there for a brief moment on verse 16 because 
the last nine chapters of the book of Acts have been moving us toward this moment where it says when we entered Rome and when Paul comes to Rome, we saw in in chapter 19 in verse 21 when Paul was in Jerusalem, after he came to Jerusalem, Luke records Paul saying, now I must go to Rome. And it sets off a sequence of events where the author of the book of Acts, Luke, is showing us, he's detailing, the rest of the journey is Paul on his way to Rome. And so what we see, and I'm just going to kind of summarize chapter 19 through 27 for all of us. But what we see is, we see uh, Paul, when he comes to Jerusalem, he's preaching about Jesus, Jesus as Messiah, his death and resurrection. He's preaching how salvation has come not only to the Jews, but also to Gentiles, non-Jews. And there's a riot. People are upset. They have a theological issue with Paul preaching Jesus as Messiah, Jesus' death and resurrection. They have a particular issue with the resurrection, and they have a particular issue with the way in which Paul is inviting Jews or Gentiles into salvation, into relationship with God. And so it says that a crowd is formed, and they, a mob, and they want to kill Paul, this mob in Jerusalem. This is Acts 19 and 20. Now, the Roman authorities heard about the mob, and they took Paul into custody because they wanted to avoid this mob turning into a violent riot. They wanted to make sure that nothing crazy started to happen, that this mob that wanted to kill Paul didn't didn't turn into this big kind of violent revolution. So they take Paul into custody. And what we see from there forth is a series of trials that Paul faces in different cities on his way to Rome. So Paul faces and stands before different Roman magistrates, or you could call them uh, different regional judges who are representative of the Roman Empire. And Paul appeals to Caesar. Or in other words, Paul claims his Roman citizenship. He was Jewish uh, ethnically, but he was a Roman citizen nationally. So he had rights as a Roman citizen. One of those rights was he had the right to a fair trial in Rome at a higher court if he was accused of a crime. So he's moved from judge to judge to judge. And through these sequence of events, the different judges in one way or another infer his innocence. Paul is innocent. But they also don't want to stir up a riot in this crowd. So There's a formality, and the sequence of this event takes about four years. So it's about nine chapters, but it's about four years of Paul's life that he's in one way or another a prisoner of Rome, and it's about four years that Paul is not only a prisoner of Rome, but his innocence is being affirmed by these judges over and over. And what we also see during these chapters is Paul encounters numerous uh, near-death experiences. For example, Paul and the crew who who are on this journey with Paul, uh, they are in the middle of a shipwreck. At another point, Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake. 
And after each of these occasions, when Paul faces his near-death experiences, the author of Luke uses this word that it had worked. There was a mirac- there was some, there was a miracle that took place in all of these different near-death experiences, and he uses this word that it worked out for the for his salvation or the salv- and the salvation of those who were with him as well. Luke is very intentional about this word that he uses. Uh, to describe what happens after these near-death experiences. And all of this is important as we get to Acts chapter 28, because the author of Acts is setting up the finale. He's setting up the conclusion. He's building tension. He's building suspense in the narrative. And when we come to Acts 28, we have all sorts of questions about the narrative. What's going to happen to Paul? What will the outcome of his trial be? Will he win his case before the Roman authorities? Will Paul be killed? Will Paul face execution in Rome? And then somehow will it work out for his salvation? Will there be some sort of miracle when we come to Acts 28? And the finale, the conclusion is, I think, surprising. I think it is surprising. So let's continue reading on in verse 17 of Acts 28. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, this is Paul in Rome. He began saying to them, brethren, he refers to them as brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusations against my nation. Paul had no interest in a countersuit in this scenario. And for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, they're not even quite sure what he's talking about. We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, speaking of followers of Jesus, followers of the way, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. This is how Paul concludes his sermon. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their eyes they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, 
They might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Not the friendliest word, we might agree. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Verse 29, when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. That's how you know it was a good sermon, right? And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. And the book of Acts closes, concludes. And it's a surprising finale, and it's a surprising conclusion because Paul's, for, for numerous reasons, right? First, none of the questions that Luke builds up in the narrative that we want answered are answered in this conclusion or finale, right? What happened in Paul's trial? We're not let into the details. We can infer uh, from different things in the text that his case was probably dismissed uh, or, or his case, or he won his case. It was likely dismissed because uh, it would have cost a lot of money for them to bring up a case that they would have likely have lost against Paul, a Roman citizen brought up by non-Roman citizens. But Luke doesn't record those details and the text concludes. Another reason I find this conclusion, this finale surprising is these last couple verses, the way that Luke characterizes the ministry of Paul in Rome, in particularly the last word of the book of Acts. And he says that Paul was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered, unhindered, now, we know that Paul's journey to Rome was fraught with hindrances, right? Shipwrecks, a prisoner, snake bites. All sorts of crazy things have happened to Paul, and all sorts of crazy things have happened to followers of Jesus throughout the book of Acts that should have hindered this good word of Jesus and his resurrection, and that being a good word for the world as well. And yet, Luke concludes his gospel with this word, unhindered. Now, this is actually the last word in the Greek as well. And it's the Greek word, eikolutos, eikolutos. And so Chandler has that up on the screen for you and is actually the last word in the Greek as well. It's the reason I chose to read from the NASB this morning. Some translations do a really great job at capturing the big idea of a text or the thought. And other translations like the NASB or the ESV uh, try to transliterate the original Greek language and follow the order and the meaning as closely as they can. And so we have this word unhindered, and it's this Greek word, ekolutos. And to me, Luke is trying to get us to understand something. It's actually the only time this word is used in the entire Bible is here. And it's the last word Luke uses to conclude this book. 
So what does this have to say to us? We all know uh, what a hindrance is, right? How many of you have ever experienced a hindrance in your life before? We experience a hindrance as a church community having to move our service to 4 p.m. because the streets were closed due to the marathon, and it was a hindrance to us being able to come to this room, right? So we moved to the afternoon. Uh, I think of last summer, I had a foot injury, and when I started playing soccer again, my foot had not been completely healed. And so I could run and I could kick, but because I was hindered, because I was not completely healed, I could not run as fast as I could normally run, and I could not kick as hard as I could normally run, right? But when we read the text in Acts, it doesn't seem like this is a very good word to describe the events that have taken place. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you feel like, yeah, like unhindered? I don't know. And I think Luke is trying to point us to something here in the narrative. This surprising finale, this surprising conclusion. And I think it's this. I think, Luke, can we actually put up the last two verses of the chapter again? There's something that Luke wants us to know is unhindered. Paul, in his own rented quarters, was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. I believe that Luke, in his parting chapter, wants to turn our attention as readers of the book of Acts to the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church as the influence that propels the church into fulfilling and participating with God in his mission of sharing his love with the world. I think that's what Luke is trying to do. He wants to be very clear to the reader that the hero is not Peter, it's not Stephen, the martyr, and it's not even Paul, the man who planted all these churches and survived all of these miraculous things and brought this word to such a large audience. But it's the spirit of the resurrected Jesus and the power of the gospel, the good news, the proclamation that a way to God and knowing God and being reconciled with God has been made through the person of Jesus. Salvation has been completed. Now, it's faith in this Jesus and this good news that leads to a life that is a Lutas, lutas, unhindered. Luke wants to be clear that a life that is lutas is not one without hardship or without trial, but it's one that is rooted in the deep, good work of Jesus. Luke wants to show that the power of Jesus, 
the power of this word being unhindered even in the midst of hardships and trials. Um, you could say it this way. Um, our ekolutos, or our living in an unhindered life, is not to be determined by our circumstances. Not determined by our circumstances, but a life that experiences ekolutos, freedom, openness, through the power of the Spirit of God and the gospel, is actually found in the power of Jesus himself and the power of this good word. So, what do we see Paul doing? Welcoming all, welcoming all, preaching the kingdom of God. Now, we've seen throughout the book of Acts that the kingdom of God is more expansive, right? Than anyone thought previously. It's invitation to all people, to the whole world, Jew, Gentile, Hebrew, Greek, male, female. The author of Acts wants to emphasize that the good news continues to be good news for everyone. Even after Paul's message was rejected, Paul didn't reject anyone. Rather, he welcomed all who would hear. And so the word that Paul preached was not hindered, was ekolutos, it was not hindered by race, gender, socioeconomic status, nationality. The word Paul preached would also not be hindered, this is what Luke wants to show us, by the Roman Empire, right? There's something subversive about, you can throw out those last two verses, you can just keep them up there as well. Paul's teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's preaching centered on this idea of Jesus as Lord. Now, this is significant as Paul is doing this in Rome. The heart of the empire. And the heart of the, of the empire was governed by... Can anyone answer me? Rome is the leader Caesar, right? Caesar had a series of propaganda slogans that were used throughout the Roman Empire. And one of the most famous was that Caesar is Lord. Or in the Greek, Caesar is Kyrios. Another way that Caesar referred to himself was as the son of God. And the propaganda was shared that his euangelion, the good news of the empire, was that Peace was being extended through Caesar as Lord, the Son of God. And so there's something subversive about Paul teaching Jesus as Lord in the heart of the empire. And so we ask ourselves questions as a church community and as individuals as we wrap up the book of Acts do we allow our circumstances to hinder us in sharing the good news? Do we allow our differences with others to hinder us in our sharing of the good news? Do we allow our allegiances to temporal objects, structures, systems, 
to hinder us in our sharing the good news. And when I use this phrase, sharing the good news, I mean not only just sharing that with others, but we also are participants of, we get to share in the good news ourselves, right? How many of you have ever felt hindered in your life, right? And I think the key is to focus not on our circumstance, but to focus on the good news of Jesus that is a kolutas. It will never be hindered, not by death. It's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, his conquer over death. And so we put our faith in that. And so this last word captures the heart of the whole book that's proclaimed over and over the same gospel about the kingdom of God. It's real simple. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir because this is an afternoon church, right? I know y'all are committed because you came at 4 p.m. Jesus who died was raised from the dead. Jesus who is Lord. And through Jesus, God is saving the world. This is the word that's unhindered. This is our unhindered marching orders as a church. Our call to be like Paul, who spoke boldly, freely, because he believed in the power of this message, that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead was present in this gospel, was present in his midst, even in his change, this good news, and it will be unhindered. It's a triumphant call for the church to be the church, to first be changed by this word, and then to take this word to the heart of the empire and the corners of the earth because we believe in its power to bring healing and salvation. The beautiful thing about this word, ekolutos, is that the power of Jesus in the gospel, this unhindered power, is available not only in our sharing of the word, but is a word for all of us, no matter our circumstances. That's a good word, the power of the resurrection, the power of the gospel that is unhindered. This is Luke's point in Acts chapter 28. is not only available to us in sharing this word, but is available to us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. That's something we can say amen to, right? Amen. Amen. That is a good word. And so I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to conclude in worship together. And as we do, here at Church at the Well, we celebrate communion together on the last Sunday of every month. And so we have the bread and the juice, and I'm going to invite uh, all of you to participate as the band plays to come and grab a cup of juice and to grab a piece of bread as a reminder of the ekolutos power that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus in your life, the good news. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a time to remember his death and his resurrection. And if you want to follow Jesus, I would invite you as well to use communion as an opportunity to profess Jesus
as Lord in your life, if you need that ekolutos power as the rest of us do as well. The only power that saves. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.